What's going on, guys? Welcome to the Creating Wealth Podcast, where I, Kyle, from Kyle Curtin Real Estate, interview local top dogs in the real estate investing, wealth building, and personal finance industries. Let's build together. Welcome to episode eight of the podcast. Today, I'm interviewing Avery Heilbron. He is a phenomenal investor and house hacker with properties in Everett, Mass. There is a ton of really great information in this episode for everyone, especially for those starting out. I hope you enjoy. Let's jump right into the episode. What's going on, guys? Welcome to episode eight of the Creating Wealth podcast. Today, I get the great pleasure of interviewing Avery Heilbron. He is a house hacker and real estate investor with a couple properties in Everett, Massachusetts. And I'm really excited to have him on. And, you know, I've been looking forward to this one for a while. So uh, what's going on, Avery? How are you? How are things doing, going? Doing well today, and, and thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm excited to, to just chat real estate and talk to you today. Totally, man. 100%. <laughs> I've been waiting for this one for a while. It's, uh, I'm, I'm really excited. Yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you're excited, and hopefully I can uh, add a little bit of value, some insight to some people listening. Definitely. So to jump right into things, man, what got you into real estate, and what's kind of your backstory? Yeah, so I guess I'll give give the backstory a little bit first and how that leads into how I got into real estate. So I'm actually originally from Vancouver, Canada, so all, all the way on the other side of the continent and different country and uh, ended up in the States just playing soccer, playing college soccer. Um, it's kind of always a dream of mine to be a professional soccer player, playing the MLS. Uh, didn't pan out that way, but I'm you know not too upset about it. My life is going pretty well, I would think, for my standards. So I'm okay that I didn't end up doing that, uh, but ended up at the University of New Hampshire playing soccer for a year and a half before I transferred. Um, there were some coaching changes and stuff. The new coach did not like me too much, but I, I transferred up to Colby College in Maine. So really isolated 2000 person school, um, but it was really solid education. So I was really happy about that. And from there, I just got a job after school in the Boston area, uh, specifically the office I was working in was in Wellesley, but you know, now I'm working from home, um, which is great and everything. Mm -hmm. And I made my way into real estate. First, I was living in apartment with my brother, actually in Dorchester. He lives out here too, funny enough, um, all the way from Vancouver. Um, but we, we were just living together and I just didn't like the start of the young professional life, you know, going out to the bars, spending all the money, um, just, you know, not sleeping too much Thursday night, going into Friday work. It just didn't feel like the life that I wanted. And yep. it, it was, um, I remember one Friday, I was like, oh yeah, nice. It's Friday, except it's going to be Monday pretty soon. And then that's 40 more years. That doesn't sound awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, my mom was out visiting. We just went to the bookstore and I, I was always pretty inclined to read some business books, real estate books, I guess, not, um, as much on the forefront, but a lot of business books or investing books. And I just happened to pick up this one because there were no other books available called retire on real estate. And it just, uh, it's not one that's as talked about, um, but it just mentioned bigger pockets and I was like, Oh, that's cool. Um, so I just hopped on there and from there read a whole bunch more books. Um, you know, the, the Brandon Turner books and all the ones that they have listed mm -hmm. and, uh, throughout college, I, I always thought the idea of being a landlord was cool. Cause I was seeing all these kids, what seemed to me like throw away their money at these people. 
Yep. Uh, and I was like, oh man, I'd love to be on the other side of that. And reading these books kind of really just got me thinking how it was actually possible because without the information before reading these books, I thought, you know, 20, 25% down. And obviously in Boston, that's a whole heck of a lot of money. Mm -hmm. It was going to take me a lot of years to save up. But, you know, as soon as I learned about FHA, low money down, house hack, it just all really made sense. And from there, I, um, in November, 2018, so I graduated May, 2018, November, 2018, went to my first meetup, met my real estate agent. We started going to see houses and things just, uh, the ball just started rolling from there. And, and I got my first property under contract and closed, um, at the end of March in 2019. That's awesome, man. Wow. That's a really nice way to start off, you know, just going to that first meetup and that's, you know, everything can totally stem from, you know, just taking one step like that. Yeah. And I, I remember when I was, I was at the meetup, I, I'm one to ask a whole bunch of questions. And I'm sure if you talk to the real estate agent that I've used, he, he would tell you that I'm probably pretty annoying, but <laughs> um, I like to use the resources around me. So, of course. Uh, and we were, you know, going through these conversations, I asked him a ton of questions and, and at the end he goes, Oh, so do you want to go look at houses? And I freaked out. I said, what do you mean? Like, why would we do that? Like, that's way, way too fast. Like, slow down there, buddy. Um, <laughs> but he said, look, don't worry. Maybe you don't have the down payment all set up right now, but I'll take you to these houses. I'll teach you everything, how the furnaces should look, like what's wrong, how much things might cost. And probably for the first six weeks or so, it was more of just a learning curve about houses and what to expect. And, and just that education was really awesome before I was, before I felt ready to, you know, pull the trigger. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's really true though. You know, it's really good that, you know, there was somebody by your side that could kind of show you the ropes a little bit to start off and, you know, so you're not just walking in blind and that's definitely necessary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, he was super helpful and basically from there just started networking a whole bunch um, actually you had Carson on your show recently. We, we had our own meetup for a while there, uh, before COVID and everything that was going pretty successfully, but, um, stopped doing that and, um, very cheesy, but we called it network to grow your net worth. Mm -hmm. And I definitely believe in, believe in that statement. So I, I always am trying to talk to other investors or other people and see what they're doing to, you know, get an idea of what I can do for myself or what's out there or. Um, next steps and things like that yeah totally yeah i actually i was looking up that meetup the other day i was trying to see if there was anything going on but i'm gonna keep my eyes on it you know for for when things come up again i can't wait to check that one out yeah we really like when i was going to meetups i always hated when you get in there and then you know you're chatting for a half hour the networking part was always my favorite and then someone gives a chat and then all of a sudden they're selling whatever course or book and Yep. That's when I would walk out. So we really wanted to just have a, a, a pure networking event. And that's obviously a little bit more difficult to do over Zoom. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree with you. That uh, it tends to be a lot of that kind of thing. <laughs> but honestly, though, like I was talking to somebody recently. I feel like in a way it could be maybe a little bit easier, you know, in kind of a different way with everything going on and everything being digital or virtual. Like you could hit like two or three meetups in like a couple hours and talk to like a bunch of different people. But at the same time, it's not like the face to face, you know, like real, like swap business cards and shake hands kind of thing. But 
Right, that's that's definitely a good point. I actually hadn't thought about it that way. The the way I had more thought about it is if you were the uh, the meetup host and you can kind of just sell yourself and tell everyone why you're so yeah. great, <laughs> which is cool and everything. But I don't know if I'm uh, if that's what I wanted. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame I'm you not, at all. I'm not that great, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that man. Um, what is your drive and your vision for the long term? Um. So that's, that's a good question and, and something that I try to think about, you know, kind of like your why and all that, and especially when things are going tough or you're a bit stressed out about something. And I'd say my drive more specifically to that, that first part of the question would be to be able to give my family, future family, the same or better opportunities than my family gave me. Uh, so I'm always just striving to not necessarily make their lives easy, but not have, uh, you know, something be hindered or in the way as to kids, wife, whatever, going out and getting what they want or doing what they want and not having to worry about the health of the family, like um, just putting all that stuff, you know, behind money is not good. And I want to be able to not worry about the money aspect and be able to worry about everyone being able to do what they want, being healthy, doing the things that they want to do, living happily, et cetera. Um, and in terms of long-term vision, I would say that there's been a number of things that I've been interested in and um, it'd be cool to start some businesses at some point. And I've always said that I want to retire by 30. Um, at the, so I'm 25 right now. And I don't think I would ever actually you know, all these people who say they want to retire, we're all mostly type A people. A lot of these investors, you're not mm -hmm. very good at sitting down and doing nothing. And I, and I feel that wholeheartedly. So by the time I actually reach that financial independence stage, I want it more as a buffer. Um, for example, someone in my work, he was working there for 13 years. He just got laid off the other day and that's kind of it. And if I got laid off 13 years from today, I would kind of be like, nice. I still have all of this uh, real estate stuff I can fall back on. Um, and more specifically of a long term, I've always thought about having this 20 to 30 unit building that we quote unquote, me and my girlfriend house hack. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, you know, first floor would have whatever business or shop, shop or store that we want to own. So we're really into uh, making our own coffee and my girlfriend ran uh, her own coffee shop at at uh, school where we, we met at Colby College where, where we both went mm -hmm. and um, so that would be kind of cool if we had our own business down at the front while living upstairs um, in in the building and have all of the apartments cover you know our living expenses as well as if any of the businesses go sour so that's that would be cool that would be wicked cool that's yeah. that's a really cool vision yeah, and I, I think it would be fun to be um, part of a, a ground up development for something like that. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not experienced in those kind of things yet, but um, definitely into to zoning and building and stuff like that. Yeah, that's going to be really cool. <laughs> yeah, we'll see if it comes to fruition or if any of those business ideas are any good, but um, it's fun to have that thought in the back of your head. Totally. Yeah, keep you going and thinking big. I love yeah. it. <laughs> I I really like your um like your why as well. I I totally feel that, you know, with a like a higher financial security, you know, for kind of like 
you know, your family and like everything, you know, that may come up over time or, you know, whatever, like things that might limit you from doing what you want and kind of like, like the life you had versus like the next generation. Mm-hmm. I, I totally get that quite a bit. That's, um, that's a really big one. Yeah. And I guess I'll give to an example of, of my parents, obviously your parents are the most selfless people, you know, they're, they're doing everything to make your life better. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad specifically, he actually started his own business and he always said, Oh, if you're going to start your own business, as long as you work 24 hours a day, you're going to be totally fine. Um, and, and I feel that he did work very hard, but at the drop of a dime, if I'm saying, Hey, can we go outside and play basketball or whatever? He's, he's right there yeah. where he was coaching my soccer practices. Um, and same thing with my mom, like she was putting everyone else first, making mm-hmm. sure that the kids are happy. Everyone was where they needed to be when they needed to be and just doing the things to make sure that the family was, um, doing well. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Is the like entrepreneurship kind of genes like in your family or like just your dad or, uh, I don't even know if I would call my dad an entrepreneur. <laughs> I guess he, he just did what he wanted to do. So I guess that is, you know, entrepreneurship, but he, he's actually funny. He started, um, he started his degree in Greek mythology and then dropped out after one semester. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he was a sort of like semi-professional, professional, um, cyclocross racer, which is when you ride your bike in, in the dirt and it's just kind of a funny sport, but he did that for a while before starting, starting his business. Um, so he's definitely been someone who, I have looked up to, of course, I never really thought of him as an entrepreneur though, until I started mm-hmm. doing this real estate investing stuff, because as you grow up, you're just assuming, Oh, I'll go to college. I'll get that W2 job. And that's that. Yeah. And it wasn't really until I realized that there are other paths in that, that I looked at my dad as more of an entrepreneur and someone who did what he wanted. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's yeah. awesome. Uh, would you mind telling the story of acquiring your first property and like any lessons you learned from it? Yeah, sure. Uh, so first property was a duplex in Everett mm-hmm. and it's right by the night shift brewery where we had our meetup. Um, so it was in a great little, great little pocket of Everett. And yep. so I, like I said, I met the agent November, 2018 at the meetup, we started to go see houses and in december i went and saw this place and it was fully tenanted four bedroom upstairs four bed one bath upstairs two bed one bath downstairs and it was a funky little place as in uh it was it smelled terrible and it was full of mouse poop uh and it had some really interesting aesthetics uh anyway but um there was an interesting I don't even know if it was a brother or sister or what the situation was, but like a 15 year old girl and a 10 year old boy who lived in the four bedroom. And then this, the mom of the owner and some other guy who wasn't a husband or anything, maybe a friend, it was hard to say that lived in the two bed, one bath. And when I went, the people upstairs were only paying $1,100 a month to live in this four bed. So uh, I wasn't, I didn't really want to go into a place where they were probably, they were about thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars under market. And obviously that's a lot to deal with. Uh, Mm -hmm. They're going to be interesting tenants. It's going to be 
tough to go forward with that. So I didn't, I passed up on it and didn't do anything. And someone came in with a full cash offer. So it was listed at 550. Yeah. And the full cash offer was 535. So then a few months go by. Um, I'm starting to feel a little bit antsy about not finding a property. And, and in hindsight, you know, it had only been a few months, mm -hmm. three, four months, and I was probably just being impatient. Um, and actually the listing agent who you also had on the show is Lior. So I had, oh, a, okay. I, yeah, I <laughs> yeah, had a connection right. with Lior Small world. and yeah. And then, so the, the buyer's agent was someone he had worked with. So because of that connection, Lior knew that I was looking for a house hack. They got in touch with me after the cash buyer fell through mm -hmm. and my max pre-approval was only 525 at the time because I had only had a credit card for like six months. I didn't even know you needed credit when I started looking. So yeah. um, just interesting stuff, but <laughs> they just called me before they put it back on market. And I said, of course, like I'm an offer on this. And at that time, because the cash offer went through, they asked for it to be delivered vacant. So those upstairs tenants had left. So I was more excited about the prospect of this property at that time. And, you know, I'm getting it under what a cash buyer would buy it for. So of course it's, it's going to be a good deal. Like, why would I, yeah. why would I say no? Of course I'm going to give it an offer. Um, and things went really smoothly from there, just did the inspection, all that stuff and ended up closing on time. Uh, which I guess wasn't normal according to, to the agents. I didn't realize that at the time, but uh, super excited. Ended up getting to the house and none of the keys the seller gave me worked. So oh, uh, no. actually the real estate agent had to break into the house for me after about an hour of me being there. So that, that was a good, that was a good start to, to the day. Um, and I just ripped up. Um, I did a lot of the work myself. I ripped up the floors, did some painting and my girlfriend helped. Um, but the numbers were, were really solid for that first house hack. So after a couple of months getting the upstairs fixed, which I had a contractor do, and the downstairs that I fixed up myself with my girlfriend, uh, I got it rented to a Section 8 tenant for $2,400. Mm -hmm. And the original mortgage was $3,300. And then I got a roommate in the two-bed, one-bath. He was paying $800. And then my girlfriend was paying me $400. Uh, so I was, I was a couple hundred bucks over the mortgage there, which was just awesome. Um, and obviously like super great that my girlfriend was willing to live with a roommate. Yeah. And, uh, actually it was funny at first I was listing the room for 700 bucks, but I was getting too many weird people. So I just made it a bit higher and then the, the talent pool was a little bit better. So I guess maybe mm -hmm. that's one lesson there. Uh, if you're doing the house hack stuff, rent by room, don't list it too low because. <laughs> the people who are willing to live with random strangers at that low of a price probably aren't going to be awesome. Mm -hmm. um, but so that worked out really well. And, and then at uh, the beginning of this year in March, I refinanced my payment went from 3,300 to 2,850. I'd gone up like, I don't know, uh, to 16 or 17% equity from three and a half in, in a year. So appreciation and value add just got me there pretty well. Um, so the payment went down a bunch and actually the section eight rent, I was trying to increase it and I asked for 2,600 and then the housing authority came back and we're like, here's 2,880. And I said, okay, <laughs> <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> I'll take it. 
and um yeah so that that was awesome too and now the section eight rent covers the entire mortgage um and then the two bed obviously covers the expenses and then the leftover is cash flow so it's it's worked out really well because pretty much everyone i've ever talked to said no chance you're cash flow on a duplex in the boston area if you're gonna house hack it's not possible <laughs> I, said, I don't know i'm doing it so i don't know, I don't know what happened <laughs> wow that's yeah. awesome look at that using like two different strategies in one you know with the house hack and by room as well as you know like the quote-unquote traditional i'm definitely gonna keep that one in mind <laughs> mm -hmm. oh one other thing i would say um something i didn't think about too much obviously the more bedrooms you would think the more rent, but there is that kind of sweet spot with three three bedrooms, I think, being easier to rent out. So when I listed the four bedroom, I was getting a lot of inquiries, but I didn't have it deleted. And a lot yeah. of the people interested were families with children under the age of six. And obviously in Massachusetts, the lead laws are a lot stricter than a lot of places. Mm -hmm. So I would I would say now from experience, if I ever encountered a place with more than three bedrooms and probably even three bedrooms as well. So I can especially open it up to section eight. I love section eight. Uh, I would for sure get it deleted because it was yeah. three weeks into my listing the apartment that I got it deleted because you know 90% of the applicants were families with children under the age of six. So wow. That sounds like it's definitely a big one to watch yeah. out for. Is it something with kind of like the bigger spaces? with the lead paint like the the three or more or is it just kind of like a coincidence or well it's so the the laws around it are if there's any children under the age of six then yep. it would be illegal as a landlord to not treat it and you can't rent to them so just thinking about a space that a family would need they obviously need more bedrooms because True. they have more people so you're just more likely to get more tenants that are that tenant base with the more rooms you have so it mm -hmm. just kind of makes sense, um, you know, two bedroom, one bedroom, even three, just have random roommates living together. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, what do you consider to be the biggest variable to expand your portfolio? Like building a network, uh, like marketing, you know, like running numbers on properties, etc. Yeah, um, that's a good question. And and I actually was thinking about this recently, and I, I think a lot of building a portfolio or growing your real estate business is, is all very simple in practice. Mm -hmm. so there's this, this quote that I like um, by a professional footballer, and by footballer, I mean soccer player. Uh, he says, <laughs> playing football is simple, but playing simple football is the hardest thing you'll ever do. So on paper, how do I house act? Well, I just buy a house and I live in it and rent it to someone else. Like that's a super simple idea, but yeah. there's all these hurdles and things that get in the way that can be difficult as you're moving along. But if you wanna have good strategies and run them effectively, the ideas behind them are not that difficult. So you see people who are scaling up, they're using private money or hard money. Maybe they're taking some more risks with things like that. And the ideas mm -hmm. of doing it is, is not really that difficult putting it together is, but, um, I think the hurdle for me, I, what lies in moving ahead is one, do I want to take on some of these risks and move ahead with using something like private money or hard money? 
And two, it, yeah. it takes a lot of time to build your network and build up your own credibility before someone would give you private money. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe I have some credibility now and someone would be willing to give me money for a similar project. But if I went to go do a ground up condo development, I'd have to sell myself pretty hard to someone, I think, in order yeah. to give me money. And it's not like I'm going to a meetup and meeting someone once and saying like, oh yeah, you should give me money. I know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. um, these are like long-term relationships that go on over time. And obviously there's, there's syndicators and people who are doing this that are a young age and they're very good sales people. Uh, but I think for me, that would be my biggest hurdle moving forward. Cause obviously you can't, you can't scale to such an enormous amount of units with using your own money. It, it gets tied up at a certain point. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I totally see where you're coming from you know, with the network and the relationships and stuff and, you know, like really building that reputation up over time to, you know, open some doors and have people kind of come to you. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, what is the most important lesson that you have learned over your career? Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one lesson or I don't know, there's so many things that that come up and I guess one thing I like to say to people is you don't know what you don't know until you realize that you didn't know it. And that's I like that. A mouthful, but <laughs> there's all the reading, all the networking, all the stuff that you can do. Uh, but every property is pretty situational, especially once you get into it, you know, maybe purchasing it is you're going through those routine things that you will have normally gone through but there's always things that could come up that are different. And um, there's so many things you don't know, like the deletting stuff I had no idea about and why that would, because uh, it took an extra month and a half for me to get the place rented out and that mm -hmm. paid into some holding costs and you know some of my profit, et cetera. So there's always gonna be those things that you're not sure about. And you're, it's pretty impossible to, to forecast them you're just going to run into some hurdles and i think you just have to be okay with that really <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i guess um you know like you're not really going to learn how to ride a bike until you just do it you know until you start right. and get you know both feet wet and everything and just jump it in yeah and i i think also if i am if i'm allowed to say another lesson that i've learned go for it <laughs> uh, is i think you know, some really good real estate investors, you see people who do a bunch of flips in this area on Maltese or whatever, and they're really good at doing exactly what is necessary for the perfect return on their investment. So, you know, maybe they're not going to fix this thing, but they'll put that out so that it gets sold. And I think that I've learned that I like adding a lot of value to places. One, I see, you know, the money come back and the equity and whatnot, um, yeah. but it's also important for me to just build a good relationship with a tenant and have that compassion knowing that, you know, they're living there too. And I think it has helped with me living in both of the properties that I know how the houses are and I, I know what's good. And if I didn't fix these things, how it would have been and um, just treating the people that you come um, into contact with as people and not just someone who's going to help you reach your financial independence goals and, just profit i think is important for me at least to to look at mm -hmm. yeah I, I feel like that's kind of a big thing that doesn't really get talked about as much 
in this landscape is like you know the people who are fund like funding your properties and stuff like that or i shouldn't say that the people who are paying your mortgage and like paying your bills and stuff like that and you know giving you equity and stuff they're not just like cogs in a machine mm-hmm. like it's like they're human beings and you're right like having a relationship you know sounds like it's extremely important with these people and you know they're people just like you and me and that's a really big part of it yeah i don't necessarily mean to i, I know some people will say don't be friends with your tenants especially if you're house hacking <laughs> because they can take advantage with you of you and i do agree with that to a certain extent uh, and it's more for me just being respectful so if my tenant yeah text me hey this is wrong you know always within an hour half hour i'm i'm getting on fixing it and i think that's kind of interesting too because i i've i've been a renter and i'll text my landlord in the middle of february and say hey my heat's out it's cold <laughs> like i want <laughs> i want my heat on buddy what are you doing like not answering me for 24 hours and then finally have to threaten them with withholding rent before they do anything whereas yeah. if if someone's telling me my heat's out it's middle of february i'm like man that is cold i I better fix it like that sucks this person is funding my new lifestyle allowing me to live for free like i mm-hmm. owe them at least what they're owed so yeah I, I feel like that's definitely like adds another aspect to it you know that you've been on the renter side of the equation and like you know you know what it's like to be in that that situation like across the table mm-hmm. and now you know you've kind of seen like what you didn't want versus what you did want you know with the relationship with your landlord and now you're like, all right, you know, I'll, uh, I, I kind of see that. Like, what kind of landlord do I want to be? And, you know, like you've been on both sides of the table. And I, I feel like that's really, really cool and really important. Yeah, and it, it's, um, I think one example that goes to show how it worked out really well in my favor is with this Section 8 increase from the first year. Obviously, it went $480 up, which is a huge amount. Yeah. Uh, and I, I talked to the tenant about it before because she still pays a portion. Um, mm-hmm. It's not the whole thing being covered by the housing authority. Um, and I asked her like, hey, what's your opinion on this? I'm probably not going to increase the rent next year, every other year after that. I just want to get it to a certain point. And she was so grateful, which is a weird thing for me to think. She was grateful that I asked her before I did it and got yeah. her opinion about it. Um, and maybe that's not always the best approach. Like my section eight tenant, she's the best, their, their family is awesome. You know, they shovel the driveway, they're taking the trash bins out. Like they're just the best people ever. So I don't know if that situation will work with everyone, but, uh, <laughs> definitely felt good when she said that she was grateful that I asked her and it's good to have those, those relationships, I think. Yeah, that's huge. That, um, that's really interesting. Um, how do you define wealth? <laughs> I love this question. I've gotten a couple different different uh, answers with this one. Yeah, and I that is an interesting question for sure. And <laughs> I would think that most people would be along the lines of it's not necessarily about the actual money, but more about your lifestyle and happiness and things like that. And sort of to echo that, I would say, you know, it's being able to not have to prioritize money over your health, your relationships, and things that you want to do. And that doesn't necessarily mean having a boatload of money, in my opinion. Someone could be super happy doing something super 
you know, that doesn't cost a lot of money. Uh, for example, I know this guy, he bikes around the world and uh, restaurant dumpsters and he has enough money to fly from place to place with his bike and he's just the happiest, most fulfilled guy ever. Um, so I would think to himself, he feels pretty wealthy and he feels pretty happy with what he's doing. So he doesn't have a super lavish lifestyle or anything like that. And for me personally, I don't, I don't really care about having nice stuff. Uh, yep. Like it goes back to when you asked me about my drive. Those are the things I care about um, making sure that everyone else and my relationships and the things that I want to do are not being pushed to the back because, Oh, the money's in the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I wish more people kind of knew like the alternate lifestyle that you could create, you know, with money. And it's, it's not just the cut and dry, like, Oh, I want to have like a Lamborghini and a mansion and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's, that's not it, man. I mean, you know, it is for some like to each their own, you know, if you like certain things and whatever. Um, yeah. Like I, I want kind of like, I wish more people knew about like the kind of lifestyle that you can make, you know, with money. And it's not, it's not just, like the actual money itself, you know, and creating uh, like different, you know, getting buying cars and everything and all that fun stuff, but more for the sense of security that, you know, is kind of there, but isn't really talked about. Like it's assumed that, you know, everybody's going to kind of live check to check and like, I just need my one job, you know, it's, it's just kind of like the one leg to stand on. And then, you know, if something like COVID happens or something, then, you know, what do you do if you get laid off, you know, and that's it. And like, people don't really kind of look further than that and say like, oh, well, how do I create like a sense of security? You know, if, you know, like I wanted to leave my day job or, you know, I got laid off or whatever, um, you know, and like kind of the things that are possible, like in the bigger picture rather than just kind of what people think. Right. And uh, you know, for me personally, if, if I lost my job right now, I would still be able to, to fund my immediate needs pretty easily with the cash flow that I have. And to yep. me, that feels pretty wealthy. And, and a lot of people will say to me, oh, do you ever have any fun? I'm thinking all the time. Like I'm doing, <laughs> I don't really care about, you know, all this Instagram lifestyle crap. I like yeah. hanging out with my girlfriend and talking to my family and doing all these things that maybe don't cost a lot. And it's not because I don't want to, well, I don't want to spend the money, but it's not necessarily because <laughs> I don't want to spend the money, but it's just what I enjoy. So uh, it's not really something that, that I worry about. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely agree with you. You know, I get a rush out of putting money in my Roth IRA every Friday. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Oh yeah. I love that. <laughs> and going out to eat with friends and stuff, you know, like, whatever makes you happy, you know, whatever, regardless of if it costs a lot of money, if it doesn't, you know, and that's the name of the game. Yeah. Yeah. I love your point about, about the Roth IRA, just adding to those <laughs> accounts, like the investment accounts or whatever reserve is just like, Oh, nice. Like we're almost to that level or I've gotten higher. Like that feels good. I love it. Not, not a lot of people, especially, you know, like my parents and stuff, they don't get it, man. They're like, Oh, you're putting more money into that thing. I'm like, Oh Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I love doing. It. I look forward to Friday because of that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good feeling. It totally is. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. What are the most effective resources that have helped you the most far on your journey? 
Um, I would say for me, pretty pretty easily would be people. Um, mm -hmm. I like to say pretty often, like you know, books. Books are awesome. I think people in books, uh, but I love talking to people who are more experienced than me and better than me because I can just ask them questions. And for some reason, in the real estate investing world, everyone is super willing to talk to you. It's really awesome. Uh, so people are always willing to get on, get on the phone, tell me about what they're doing. Um, last week I spoke to a guy who was doing condo conversions in the city. Um, and that's something that I would love to do at some point. It's just cool to pick their brain and talk to them and starting out same thing, getting in touch with this real estate agent who is an investor himself, very focused, taught me everything he knows because he could see the fact that. I eventually would bring him more business later. And this just wasn't about one transaction. And I mean, mm -hmm. since then I've used him to buy two houses and I think I've referred him to like six people. I've probably made him like a hundred grand in the last two years alone on commissions. <laughs> Maybe not that much, but I'd start, I'd like to start getting the commission checks myself. But uh, um, yeah, I think people are just super important because they're just, it's just such an easy resource, especially like I said, in, in this, uh, in this space where everyone is so willing to give you an arm and a leg for no reason. And I think it's just because people before them did the same thing. And uh, I'm kind of the same way. Like if someone has a question, I'm, I'm dropping everything to get on the phone with them and help them out because I also want to see them succeed because that, that feels good too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, that was definitely a, a big eye opener um, was kind of like how friendly everybody was, you know, and, in like the real estate investing kind of space, like specifically, I didn't really know what I was walking into, like getting into this kind of thing. Like, I didn't know if people were going to be like, you know, cutthroat competitive and everything. And, but it's, it's really surprising how much, you know, people want to help each other. I totally agree. Um, you know, it's, it's great to be able to like find the knowledge from someone and, you know, be able to help them out in other ways and, you know, be able to spread the knowledge to people starting out and everything. And, that's something really special that I feel like isn't really in a whole lot of other things. And it's, it's definitely really crazy, you know, like how much everybody wants to build and wants to build together. And it's like really crazy things can happen. Yeah. And, and I, I like your, your point about the cutthroat environment and that when I was looking for jobs, at least out of school, that was something that I didn't want to be a part of because I know, I had a lot of friends who were going to New York, getting into these finance investment banking jobs and uh, alum, alums that I had spoken to said, there's 10 of us on day one and they tell you on day one, there's only gonna be two of you here next year. So you can't really make friends with these people because you're trying to step on their toes. And yeah. I was thinking, is that is that gonna be what real estate investing is? You know, it's big money, stuff like this, but it's it's just not, there's so many deals to be had by anyone. and no one's really taking stuff away from you. If, you know, if someone else buys a deal in Everett, that's cool. Now we're close together and we can talk even more. Yeah. Um, it's not like you're taking something away from me. There's thousands of houses, tens of thousands of houses, multis in this town alone. So. Yeah. I, I love how that's kind of the norm, mm -hmm. like for everything that we're trying to do. Like you're right. Even if, you know, like someone's buying in the same town as you or whatever, like, I feel like that would like make people happier. You yeah. know, instead of like, oh, he bought that house. Like, I should, that should have been me. Like, that kind of thing. <laughs> now you can reach out to him and now you guys can take the town together. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, exactly. Like, just 
you know, make something bigger. And it, it's such a crazy environment. I, I love it so much already. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, awesome. I totally agree. Um, what is something that you thought about business networking or wealth creation that changed as you went along? Uh, hmm. that's a good question. <laughs> I think there, there are a lot of things that change as you go along and I might've touched on it a little bit earlier. And it was, uh, the thing that comes to mind the most is a lot about that fixing stuff to exactly what it needs to be fixed to, or doing kind of the absolute, you know, perfect optimal thing in order to get the most money out of it. Uh, I'm pretty big on, you know, mental health, wellness, all this stuff. And I think it's more important for me, at least, to not sweat over all of those little things too much and worry about the stuff that makes me, you know, fund that lifestyle that I want and what financial independence for me is all about. And it's not just being the most optimal operator of everything that I have going on. It's making sure that maybe I fix this extra thing while I'm living here because then in a year I don't have to worry about another call or dealing with tenants or something like that, just because I know it will help me sleep better. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that that's been pretty important for me. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like it was definitely, you know, something really big and somebody I had on the show recently, I forget who it was, but like they talked a lot about the balance of, you know, like, getting a certain profit and, you know, like staying healthy and everything. And, you know, back to kind of like the mental health thing, like being able to sleep at night, you know, cause you know that everything's all right. And like, you're not worrying if something's going to happen and, you know, like you have that sense of security. Right. And sometimes I'll, I'll get a text from a tenant and my heart's dropping like, what the hell is wrong now? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I think, I don't know if that'll ever go away, but uh, a lot of the time it's nothing or it's something really simple to fix. And I, and I guess another thing that, that has changed is going into a property or looking at stuff and being kind of scared about what you're seeing in front of you um, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, thinking like, how am I going to get around this? But absolutely everything that you encounter ever is fixable. That's why reserves are important, obviously, but nothing, nothing can't be fixed. So even if you're sweating about it, it's still something that you can make better and it'll add value. Uh, for example, right behind me is uh, one of the other apartments. So it's kind of a split first floor. And after I moved in, I noticed some water going into the basement and I was wondering where the heck it was coming from. And uh, I had a plumber come by cause it was right after I had the laundry get hooked up. Yeah. And I'm thinking, oh, maybe he did something when he cut the water lines, what's going on. And he was like, oh no, it's cause because this bathroom wasn't done properly. There's all this moisture. And then I had to do like an emergency bathroom reno. Uh, So the tenant had to go home for a week. And it turns out there was just this pipe from the second floor kitchen, just leaking, you know, six feet in above the bathroom, above my ceiling. There's actually a little bit of drywall damage (laughs) right up here from the water. Uh, But it was basically, once they ripped everything out, just showering, showering into the ceiling and into the basement. Um, and that kind of stuff, you know, it was keeping me up at night a little bit wondering like, what, what is wrong? I can't figure this out. And, you know, obviously it was kind of a large expense, 
but uh, again, had their reserves available and now it's fixed. And, and not only that, it was something that will add tremendous value to the home and like builds equity in my pocket. And even while I was going through it, it might've felt stressful and whatnot. It's just, it's all positive now. There's, it's all good stuff. Mm -hmm. I feel like something definitely um you know like from experiences whether they're good or bad is like learning from it too so now like you know you know like how you took care of that and stuff like that like you've been through that kind of thing before so now you know if god forbid something like that was to happen whenever you know now you kind of know like what you might have to do and like what you did the last time and like who you have to call mm -hmm. and uh you know it just adds to adds to your knowledge yeah for sure um what is your best piece of advice to new investors wanting to start and manage their rental portfolio hmm. we uh, kind of dug into a couple different really big ones <laughs> yeah yeah I'll, I'll talk about starting first and maybe managing is two separate things and sure. uh actually someone asked this on bigger pockets the other day and i chimed into to the forums a boston-based person and I think what happens a lot, everyone sees, everyone reads the book, reads a book, whatever book it may be about real estate investing. And they're just hooked. They're, you know, their mind changes. Everything they ever thought about life is just different now. Yep. <laughs> and that happens to so many people. And then they read all these books and, you know, they do all this stuff, all of this learning phase. They're listening to every single podcast out there available. And they're taking in all of this knowledge. They're learning all this good stuff but then they're not doing anything. And it's, uh, it's probably been said before on your podcast, not sure, but um, taking action and not just action, but focused action, I think is very key. So if, if you're reading a book about this and that, and you're like, oh, you know what? I'm going to wholesale. But then the next week you're thinking, oh, fix, fix and flip sound cool. And then you go to a, you know, a webinar, Brandon Turner's like, oh, Burr's the best. Yeah. And then you're saying, <laughs> oh, I'm going to Burr. But then you haven't even thought about what towns you're actually going to do any of this stuff in, or if you're actually going to do it and you haven't taken any steps to figure out one, how to do it or two, where to do it or any of the, you know, following uh, things that go along with any of them. And you've learned all this cool stuff, but you haven't done anything. And it feels like you're doing stuff when you're listening and, um, you know, digesting these podcasts, which you are, you are doing things, but you don't take what you're learning and do something with it. It's all kind of useless. And, and like I said, really specifically honing in on what you want. So when I was looking at the house hacking, I read, I read the book and learned what house hacking was. And I said, you know what, that's what I'm going to do. So many people start out like this, not going to look anywhere else. All right. What towns do I want to look in? And I looked at, you know, it's mostly based on your pre-approval, what towns you're looking in. <laughs> um, but I'm looking in these towns. This is what makes sense. This is where I want to be. And I'm going to go to open houses. My real estate agent is going to teach me about them. I'm going to learn how to write the offers and the process of the inspection, appraisal, all that good stuff. And really just taking that action. You're going to learn a whole lot more too than just listening to the podcast. Cause everyone talks on these podcasts and um, you know, I probably do it myself, but you're talking about all these positive and good things that you've done there's a whole bunch of bad stuff too. And things that you did that were really stupid and yep. only you get to learn those while you're taking action. And, and, you know, like I said earlier in the interview, 
you don't know what you don't know until you realize you didn't know it. And mm -hmm. there's so many of those learning opportunities when you actually take action that are just vital to improving yourself as an investor and a person. Yeah, definitely. I forget. I think it might have been Carson actually last week we were talking uh, on the podcast and he said, I forget who quoted it originally, but it was like if information was how you got wealthy, then we would be billionaires with six pack abs. I think. Oh, yeah. That's a good quote. <laughs> <laughs> I, I forget who said it, but it's so true. Like the information is out there and everything and like consuming it is great. Don't get me wrong. But then you actually have to take the next step to execute on that and actually like turn that um turn that knowledge into like something tangible yeah and i think a lot of people do this introductory period of learning and reading the books and they feel that burnout because they're listening to all these really cool people on these podcasts who've done all these great things and they're feeling left out like they haven't done anything and it's like well you haven't tried to do anything so if you just try and get focused, then it'll probably work out for you. Because like I said earlier too, it is a pretty simple idea of what you're doing and you just have to know what steps to take. And if you just take them, there's going to be those things that come up, but you're going to be able to handle them. Yeah. You know, everyone does. <laughs> <laughs> People have been doing it for a very long time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I actually have um, sort of a funny quote and I, I kind of throw it around here and there and change it up a little bit, but instead of don't dream it, just do it i say don't dream it just do what someone else did who's smarter than you and you'll be fine <laughs> yeah <laughs> and even like like you don't even have to reinvent the wheel so to say like so many people have done like real estate investing and stuff for a really long time mm -hmm. and like the principles alter a little bit but i mean if you boil it down like the principles have been a, the same for a really long time you know, and even like, you know, kind of what we were talking about earlier, like with the networking and, and starting out, like you started out by going to a meetup one night at night shift, mm -hmm. you know, and would you say that was kind of like the spark like that, that would kind of started everything? Yeah. And, and like I said before that, I was just reading and doing all that stuff. But once I actually went to the meetup, it was, it was game on. Yeah. Like I, I was ready to go and I was actually doing things. Yeah. Yeah. You took action, you mm -hmm. know, and then like you're surrounded by a bunch of like-minded people and you met, you know, the agent that you were working with and, you know, things just started taking off from there. So like, it's not like, you know, you have to do this huge monumental thing, like to get started, even like just to go to one meetup or something like that. There's a good chance that that could probably change a lot for a lot of people and really yeah. like get the ball rolling. Yeah, it's for sure. It's like that book that changes your way of thinking, but then it's that that first step that actually gets you going. Mm -hmm. I totally agree, man. <laughs> what is a common myth about building a portfolio that you want to debunk? Hmm. Uh, maybe some of the things that I've said have, have kind of touched on it, but um, mm -hmm. I think a lot of the time, and that this is probably boiling it down to, to kind of keeping it simple, but a lot of the time people assume they have to get super creative with everything and do all this crazy stuff to get deals. And, uh, you know, people are saying, how do I get a deal with paying no money? How do I house hack? How do I do this without any money? And it's like, well, you probably shouldn't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and 
it's yep. like, oh, well, you know, I can get money from this asset or get money from these people or do all these crazy fancy things. Um, you know, if you're a syndicator, people talk about uh, like getting money and you're structuring it in these weird waterfall ways. I don't even know what that means, but people throw those terms around and you're yep. just sounding smart, all these finance terms or whatever. Yeah. And you can, you can get into that type of stuff, um, but it's, it's just not, it doesn't need to be difficult, I think is what I'm trying to boil it down to. I think a myth that everyone thinks it's so hard, but you know, if you think about it, what did I do when I bought both of these properties? I saved some money yep. I, and I bought a house and I've lived in it. And it just so happens that some other people lived in it, paid me some money. Yep. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's, it's not that uncommon for people to live with roommates. So I would love to live with roommates who pay me. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, and I mean, I just did the same thing again, where I saved up more money. And obviously, because I wasn't paying rent, and I was getting a little bit of money over the mortgage, I was able to really speed up that savings compared to the first time. I just did the same thing again. And, you know, I could do this year over year over year, uh, might get tiring to just move all the time. Um, yeah. So that's where you want to maybe get a little more creative and do some different things. But again if i if i never did if all i did was own these two places 10 years from now i would you know pretty much maybe not be a millionaire but be pretty well on my way like <laughs> rent really increases and the yep. home prices in the boston area appreciate like crazy so i i don't feel like i did anything that fancy mm -hmm. i just house hacked like every other person on bigger pockets who started out pretty much says what they did so <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I really like that though. You know, it's a kind of like, it's as complicated as you make it and, you know, to really boil things down and, and start to understand things. And, you know, I totally agree with you. Like it, it doesn't take like a master's degree in finance to buy a piece of property and have it make you money. You know, it does take a lot of due diligence and, you know, a lot of homework and stuff like that and work, but what good thing doesn't take that kind of thing. Right. And then also, like you said, it doesn't take a master's degree. You see all these people who turn 18 become real estate agents or all these yep. people who are in different trades or all these people who say, I hated school or suck at school. And they're just crushing it in real estate. And it's because they understand the key principles and because it's exciting. Um, I think mm -hmm. a lot of people say, you know, like, oh, I, I didn't really ever care for learning or, you know, school and stuff. But now I love learning about the stuff that I want to learn about because I can because you know no teacher is telling me to learn about history or whatever that I don't find interesting yeah I, I totally get you I uh I definitely feel that one like really close because in school like I never really liked to read or anything mm -hmm. but then I picked up rich dad poor dad one day and that started something insane <laughs> right <laughs> it's yeah gonna be there for the rest of my life you know I'm constantly buying books and reading something and like once you find something that you want to learn about the sky's the limit yeah i think that would probably happen for for anyone who would find the right book no matter the space like yeah. as soon as as soon as you know what you actually are passionate about and love to learn about you wouldn't want to put it down because just very engaging for you you get more energy from reading the book rather than you know it's I'm 10 minutes in the library and i'm falling asleep because i don't even know what's going on in this book and i haven't retained any of the two pages that i read <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. it's it's such a game changer mm -hmm. now we talked about this question quite a bit 
it is do you read and (laughs) (laughs) what is your favorite business investing or real estate book that you would recommend to anyone yeah so um i do read i know how to read (laughs) i did go to college (laughs) uh and I, I get this one a lot and there's, there's a lot of really good books that I've read and a lot of them are kind of the standard ones that you go through. But, um, and I had learned about some of these things before I read this book, but when I read uh, Scott Trench's Set for Life, it kind of took all of the things that I was thinking and said, yes, like, that's what I'm going to do. I don't need to read anymore. This is <laughs> like, this is what I'm going to do. Um, obviously I continue to read. And at a certain point though, I feel like I, you know, similar to when you're listening to a lot of these podcasts, you kind of feel like you've heard a lot of these things over and like we've been talking about, I just wanted to take action. And, you know, when I, when I got into both of these places, I got really into the renovation stuff. So I was reading a bit less than, and just watching a ton of YouTube on how to put in laminate floors or whatever, uh, and things like that. And, and now I think I've turned a little bit away from, real estate investing or investing specific books. And I'm really interested in learning about um, CEOs or how companies work. Mm -hmm. So right now I'm reading um, the Like a Virgin book, Richard Branson. And I just recently read the Bob Iger book, who was the CEO of Walt Disney. Uh, Just interesting stories to see how CEOs function or, you know, like high functioning people go about their day and how they block time and you know how you make these stressful decisions and I also read a book uh about the starting of Home Depot because you know I'm there like every other weekend (laughs) (laughs) so I wanted to know a little bit about that um and those I found really engaging recently and and it's not because I feel like I, I know everything about real estate investing definitely far from it uh it's just that you kind of hear these same messages echoed uh in a lot of these books and um I just like seeing something a little bit different and and learning like i said about someone sort of taking taking it to this next level of i'm the head of this multi-million dollar company uh well multi-billion dollar company is there's going to be some pretty cool lessons that they're going to have yeah i I totally agree honestly i i totally get where you're coming from with you know kind of like listening to the same thing all the time and stuff like it's great information and everything but you know, it may get a little repetitive. And even like, you know, like you were saying about learning about different things, uh, like how, you know, CEOs operate certain businesses and like, you know, like really famous companies that have gone up and how they've gone up and how they operate and stuff. That stuff is like very interesting to learn about. And it's totally beneficial. You know, I feel like indirectly to like your real estate investments and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Cause you get to see kind of like different processes, like from different perspectives and then, you know, things will probably start to click for you in different books and stuff and be like, Oh, you know, I can implement that with my real estate investing. And, you know, I feel like even learning about different stuff, well, the different information like may indirectly affect, like positively affect your real estate stuff. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there there's good gold nuggets in probably every book you read. And I, I think what makes the reading positive for you when you're reading it is if you find it engaging. Like I've, I've bought books or read books recently that barely get through just because maybe someone recommended it, but it just wasn't for me. And yeah. then finally, I like put that one down and pick up another book 
and I'm done it in two days just because I'm like, I'm hanging on to every word. So, and, and even if the books aren't engaging to you, there's probably going to be some golden information in there for someone else because they find it engaging. So um, kind of whatever you learn about there, there is something that's probably relatable to, to your life in one way or another. Yeah. That's so great about books, you know, and even like just business in general and like time management and everything like this books for everything. Oh yeah. You know, so like, <laughs> I feel like if you kind of notice, you know, like in certain aspects of, of your business or your life or, you know, whatever, like if there's things that you wanted to improve, there's at least a couple books for it, you know? And like you said, you know, like one book may mean a lot more to one person who's at a certain stage and mean, you know, maybe a little less to somebody else and then vice versa. And it's, you know, like overall, the amount of value in books is like ridiculous. The return oh, yeah. is <laughs> yeah, not, I'm maybe I'm a little bit too cheap, but I get mine from the library, so it's pretty much infinite return. <laughs> hey, that's not a bad thing, you know. That's yeah. people should kind of take notes from that. The information is out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's all like you can you can get a degree in whatever you want from the library. Yep. <laughs> not to mention YouTube University too. Oh yeah, I, I'm on YouTube <laughs> all the time. Like yeah. I said, I love I love the renovation stuff. I mean, I'll just put on like how to tile a shower just because i'm bored and i'm not tiling a shower anytime soon but yep. it's just cool to see what other people are doing things like that mm -hmm. you get to learn from the best too yeah exactly right, right at your fingertips <laughs> mm -hmm. yep well anyway avery thank you so much for coming on here man it, it really means a lot it uh i was looking forward to this one for a long time and it was definitely a ton of value in this one and a couple books I'm going to write down to buy myself and um <laughs> it, it was definitely a really good one where can people reach you you know on social or um well yeah first off thanks for having me it was it was a good conversation and a, a couple of my friends have been on your show so I was also itching to get on it to, <laughs> to see how it goes and, and it was a good time um but pretty for um, getting in touch with me. Um, Instagram is pretty easy. I don't have the most simple Instagram tag. It's uh, Havery underscore 18. So H-A-Y-B-E-R-Y underscore one eight. Mm -hmm. um, or LinkedIn, just my name, Avery Halbron. Those are two pretty easy ways or, or bigger pockets as well. Um, usually pretty responsive on there. So those, those would be the few things. Yeah, that, that sounds good. I'll uh, drop them in the... Um the box below in the description yeah oh, no. yeah and i also actually do have um a blog that i i kind of use to supplement i do a bit of uh real estate coaching yep um so i use the blog as kind of some talking points about things that people can work on stuff like that and and like i said i'm into the renovation so i, I did start and it was mostly because of quarantine and, and boredom a little bit of a, a diy channel so yeah. I think me and my girlfriend are up to 13 subscribers, so we're crushing it. Ooh, all right. On, on, the path, on the path to a million. On the path to a million. Yeah. Yeah, I'll link that in the description too, guys. I'm going to check that one out right after this. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, thank you so much, man. This this was a really good episode. And, um, you know, it meant a lot to have you on here. And uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely enjoyed really it. Thank you. Thanks, Kyle. <laughs> All right, guys, that concludes our Creating Wealth podcast episode for today. I want to thank every single person that has listened this far. 
It really means a lot to know that people can learn from me and with me as we build wealth together. Hopefully you can take home at least one thing from this podcast that will improve your life just a little bit. If you could, please check me out on social. That's at Kyle Curtin Real Estate on Instagram, Facebook, and I'm on Bigger Pockets. Until next time, let's build together. <laughs>